This is the Education Gadfly Show. You know, there were some really cold nights, Mike, and, you know, you just... You curled up with a policy book. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You're at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my special guest for this week, the Kate Middleton of Education Policy, Bib Hubbard. Bib, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and I love the Kate Middleton reference. Yes, well, you and Alyssa Schwank, who's here with us as well, Alyssa. Hey, Mike, and I will, for I think the third time this year, take Meghan Markle then. Meghan, oh, there it is. You want to be the <laughs> Meghan Markle? That's fine. Hey, uh, yes, talking, of course, that Kate had her third child, this a son, and Alyssa says it's Louis. Louis? Arthur Charles. Not Louis. Louis. No, it's like how you pronounce that name. It's in, like, in British? In English? Yes. I mean, it yes. sounds French. Louis sounds Armstrong like... spelled his name that way. Hmm. Hmm. I'm not convinced. What do you think? But you... Clearly, you they don't she, think he'll you, get you on said, the Kate, that she was channeling her inner Diana. Yes, with her lovely dress when she left the hospital with yeah. a very similar dress yes. to what Diana wore. And I noticed exiting. people commenting about like, this is not normal for some, you know, for a mother who just gave birth to come out of the hospital looking this good. It, it was and, with, especially an eight pound child. Yes. Yeah. She's also not a normal person. She is well, a duchess. Like, yes. Most, yeah, they're, they're, most of us are not duchesses. All right. Well, well, this is not a duchess, but she is the founder <laughs> and president of Learning Heroes. And that, do you like that segue? I did like that segue. I'll and, take it. And we're going to talk about what Learning Heroes is. We work a ton with Bib and we're huge fans of what she's been up to, trying to help parents uh, understand how they can help their kid in school and also think about <laughs> why do so many parents think their kids are doing fine when maybe that's not the case. So we're going to talk about all of that in the Ed Reform Update. So, Bib, uh, start this off. Tell us real quickly, what, what is Learning Heroes and what are you guys trying to do? Learning Heroes, our simple mission is to inform and equip parents so they can best help their children's educational success. Yeah. And so we do that through a variety of ways, mostly through partners who parents trust to know, like the PTAs, their local mm-hmm. churches, uh, community-based organizations. But we start with listening to parents. So when I founded Learning Heroes three and a half years ago, found that there was a, a dearth of understanding of how parents felt, talked, prioritized, yeah. um, you know, helped raise their children as it relates to education. Yeah. And so as we started to do the research, I was quite humbled to realize how much we didn't know. Well, and, and this is kind of a, a branch of the standards-based reform movement focused on parents, right? I mean, we've had this big effort in the last decade to raise standards, tougher assessments, uh, you know, stronger accountability systems for schools. We hope better information for parents about how their kids are doing. And yet nobody was paying a lot of attention on how these messages were actually getting to parents or not getting to mm-hmm. them, right? Until you guys started doing some work. And and as you said, you found that the way that we wonks talk about this stuff and that states talk about this stuff uh, was not uh, working for parents. Yeah, we found that there is a lot of good intentions mm-hmm. out there in communicating with parents, but a lot of assumptions. So mm-hmm. what we're sending to parents are, is is not being understood or received or is too complicated mm-hmm. um, to access. So we found a huge disconnect in that 90% of parents, and this is regardless of race, mm-hmm. income level, education level, geography, you name it, 90% of parents believe their child is at or above grade level in both reading and in math. Mm. And if you are familiar with polling, you know 90% is a ridiculous number. So 40% is a huge number. 90% of Americans don't like ice cream. Like Mm -hmm. 90% is really a phenomenal number. So when we uncovered that, it really 
sent, had us to take a step back and said mm-hmm. it actually explained quite a bit about why there has been so much controversy with new standards mm-hmm. aligned assessments mm-hmm. because parents don't know what problem we are trying to solve because yeah. yeah. they feel like, hey, my child's doing okay. You know, 60% of parents say that their child's going to be prepared for success in college. Yeah. We know that that number is much lower. And again, this is African-American families, mm-hmm. Hispanic families, low-income families. Um, they just have this overinflated view, mm-hmm. likely, mm-hmm. of how their child is performing. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and many of us were hoping that once the new assessments came along, you know, keep in mind, we're only a couple of years into this, three years into it. It was 2015, the Park and Smarter Balance came in. We see other states raising the bar for proficiency. You know, that we were finally getting the point where we're closing the honesty gap. Mm-hmm. Parents are opening up. Maybe opening up these score reports and seeing news that their kids are not uh, proficient, not on track. Uh, And yet that has not moved the numbers at all. Uh, I mean, you continue every year, you do this poll and it's the same message. So what is happening, Bib? Yeah, well, we I think that, you know, parents own the responsibility for their child's in-school success. Only 12% of parents say that that's the teacher's job. Mm -hmm. So I think because most, most parents rely on report card grades. So 86% mm-hmm. of parents, you know, really just rely on report card grades as their primary indicator, or it's a parent teacher conference, which are just maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they, when it comes time for the state standardized test results to hit home, we see about 56% of parents are, are actually looking at them and sort of valuing them as they report mm-hmm. it, but that's because they're supposed to report it. Mm-hmm. But when we've also looked at a lot of these score reports and they are indecipherable too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they use scales in the thousands. They use, you know, margin of error. They are chock full of data that mm-hmm. is just completely confusing. Yeah. And so we've asked a lot of parents, like, well, what does this report mean to you? And they don't know. Yeah. They literally don't know. Have you guys talked at all to parents about sort of their trust levels and kind of how they view institutions and how they view teachers? I know when I was teaching, um, it was actually... For my kids who were struggling, it was sometimes very tough to have a really honest conversation if I hadn't put in that work to build that trust. And there were families that I was very successful at building that trust and we were able to have a tough conversation. But if we weren't, for whatever reason, like able to have a really trusting relationship, that conversation was just sort of off the table because it didn't go productively. Yeah, so we've, um, it's interesting. When you talk to parents, their most trusted messenger is the teacher. Mm-hmm. And again, this is regardless of race, income levels. You know, parents trust their teachers because again, my child is spending every single day with sure. his teacher yep. and I'm trusting them. So if I don't trust them, then I'm a bad parent for having them right. in that classroom. Right. So parents, and that's values judgment. R- right. So there's sort of this cognitive pull um, that requires parents to trust their teachers. Yet we hear anecdotally and in qualitative, we haven't done a quantitative of teachers yet. We're doing one this summer. Mm-hmm. But qualitatively, we hear from teachers all the time that they don't have as good a relationship with parents. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I actually do have some data here. So when we ask um, about um, you know what, what's most important in family engagement, Scholastic did a, uh, some research with principals and teachers. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important factors is communicating about what what's your child's expected to learn, the standards, mm-hmm. as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And so 83% of teachers say it's the mo- one of the most important things that should be happening. Only... Um, but only 62% say it's actually happening mm-hmm. and only 46% of teachers in high poverty settings say that like that communication mm-hmm. between parents and teachers is happening. Yeah. We ask the same question of parents. So 83% of parents 
say, I'm getting what I need from Mm -hmm. my teachers about Mm -hmm. my child's standards. And that number jumps to 87% when you look at low income. Wow. So there is this inverse thing happening that needs- The the parents think they're getting what they need. I mean, mean, they do. And as a parent, look, I mean, this is, you, you mentioned before that we take ownership for our kids. And so it's very hard to hear- that our kids aren't doing well because that means that we exactly. are not doing well. We chose a bad school or we're not doing what we need to at home. Yep. And so we want to hear that things are okay. And if we open up that report card and it's all A's and B's, you know, or in the younger grades, whatever crazy letters they Check use, marks. P's and I's and N's or whatever, you know, we want to say, <laughs> all right, looks fine. They're telling me that my kid is on grade level and they're doing okay. And I keep wondering, you know, how many teachers understand, especially in the early grades, you know, early elementary, you know, do they just understand the raw numbers? Meaning that, look, in this country, you've got to be at about the 60th percentile uh, at the end of high school in order to be on track for college and college success. If you say that about 40% of kids are ready, it might be more like 70% because of 30% ready, right? In terms of you're not going to end up in a remedial exam course, you know, you're going to really crush it. So being at the 50th percentile is not high enough, right? That, that means, yes, you're on, you know, your average, you're, but, but, you know, that average is not good enough right now. You've got to be at the 60th. You've got to be at the 70th percentile. And, and how do we help teachers understand that and embrace it and say, look, I want to make sure that the signals I send to these parents is if their kid, you know, we don't want to freak out, but if their kids are, you know, a little below where they need to be, that the message has got to be, hey, we've got some ground to make up and here's how we're going to do it. Well, I think the teachers, you know, they self-report being intimidated to be able to have those hard conversations because they don't have the tools, the language, the time. But we also know that there's more that goes into the report card than just grade level mastery, you know, it's an important, it's an important measure of, you know, did my child show up on time? Were they a good peer? Mm -hmm. Did they work really hard? Did they work well in teams? Which is not necessarily, is my child reading at grade level? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think these aligned assessments and those results are so important because they tell a different story. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's like, okay, parents, there's a, there's, you've got all these puzzle pieces that you need to put together. And right now parents are primarily relying just on you know, mm-hmm. one or two pieces of the puzzle, the report card grades, if they get any anecdotal feedback mm-hmm. from the teacher. And interestingly, we hear in qualitative, it's the behaviors. Yep. Mm-hmm. So as a parent, you totally get this, right? Do they have a stomach ache so they don't want to go to school? Mm-hmm. Or do they walk in the door saying, Mike, dad, oh my gosh, did you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And they're so excited about what they're learning. And then you get that sense as a parent, like, oh, He's yeah. doing great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But By the so, way, they do walk through the door excited and want to tell me all about Fortnite. Exactly. I know, right? I'm Come on, so right. glad I don't know what that is. <laughs> yes. Be very happy that you don't know what that is. Yes. It will take over your, your child's <laughs> life soon enough. Um, but anyway, so it's, for us, it's trying yeah. to get parents to look at all these different puzzle pieces yeah. and put it together. But is that, mm-hmm. is, is that more realistic to get them? I mean, so <laughs> the one strategy is let's try to figure out how to get the parents to pay attention to the tests. Again, not mm-hmm. as the be all and end all, but as another important right. piece of the puzzle or is it to try to get teachers to become tougher graders, you know, to become, you know, to, to raise the, the standard when it comes to giving out grades on the report card? Can't I mean, do you option think- option C? Which is- Both? Both or both. We could try both. I mean, do you think there's, do you have any idea whether getting teachers to be tougher graders, is that just- a, I mean, I think- Am I being completely naive? I can tower Mike here. I, I think that it's a, it's a big lift and I think it's, it's helping parents understand what is baked into that report card grade. So it not, isn't necessarily whether or not grade level mastery is happening and that's why 
the end of year state assessment result is so important so that you can look at both because they're telling you different things and they're both equally as important because there's a lot that's important in that report card grade too about your child holistically, Mm -hmm. you know, as being sort of a peer and how they're operating within that classroom environment, but it is normative, yeah. right? And, and if yeah, and guess, the parents don't understand that, like nobody gets a C these days. So you know, your kid gets a B, that's actually the worst grade in the class. They probably don't know that. Well, right. there's also like parents care about more than whether or not their kid is just doing math well. They want their kid to be kind and work hard and have Amen. resiliency and that's all of really those things. True. And so mm-hmm. those oh, factor it's ridiculous, in. Isn't it? How dare we like ask, like hope that our children grow up to be kind individuals who treat each other well? Um, but I guess my big question is, and I. Like, have we as a movement, like with parents in the standardized test, like that building that trust in a test to give you valuable information about your kid, I think is a pretty high order these days, given, you know, 10, 20 years of people telling parents to be skeptical about the tests. And then we come in with brand new tests that were like, no, 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 these are better. And just there's, I think, a trust issue there that we have to confront about the tests that well, it's tricky. I think this is one area where we could do better with teachers mm-hmm. is helping teachers understand the value of the test because so many teachers have been left out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. They don't see the test items in advance. They don't see the results a lot of times. And so they don't have the professional development for how to talk to parents about the results on these tests. And, you know, if you're a teacher, why am I not teaching items that are on this test because this is supposed to be grade level mastery why does my curriculum not match yeah mm-hmm. if that is happening and it does happen let's right. be honest so then the teacher could be an advocate to say to the principal to the district to the state why are we dumbing down yeah. our mm-hmm. curriculum that's like right. that's not acceptable hey. and and parents at some point when this awareness gets raised imagine a parent who says wow and and actually there was a dc mom super involved ward seven Mm -hmm. she actually took the practice test for park Mm -hmm. for her third Mm -hmm. grader i was like wow yeah yeah and what she said very astutely was you know it was too difficult because i know that my child wasn't learning those things this year yeah and so what would have been amazing if she could have just carried that thought through to say hey i'm going to go to my teacher and say why didn't my child learn these things if this is what's considered grade level and important for her to be able to progress, why didn't she learn fractions? And so that would be a really compelling conversation and sort of where I think, you know, ideally we get to that there is real value Mm -hmm. in these state test results, but first parents have to understand them. So first we have to make Mm -hmm. them decipherable. So we're still at that early stage. So much to unpack here and and a conversation to continue. This is definitely one of the big remaining to-do items on the education reform But doable. It is not insurmountable. (laughs) But but, but tough, right. And and it's not something you can't pass a law, you can't, but you got to work at this. You got to be intentional. All right. Bib Hubbard, the founder and CEO of Learning Heroes. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. President. President President of Learning Heroes. Founder and president. Uh, And hey, you know, maybe they, they, you know, parents need trusted people to hear from. Kate Middleton. Hello. Exactly. I mean, what she's done having babies. We should get her mental health as a spokesperson. All right. right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. David, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mike. Yeah, Amber. Amber, not able to join us this week, and you have been traveling the world. Uh, I have been, yes. I, I made it to the uh, Everest Base Camp. 
since oh, last wow. I was on the show. Super I've been thinking cool. about doing that hike. And One Bhutan of my as well? Year. Was that right? Yes, I yeah. stopped off on Bhutan to say oh hello to my dad. Casual. Just say hello to your dad. I love it. So this is breweries in rural Virginia to say hello to my dad. I'm just saying. Wow. No, very, very impressive. The most impressive thing about uh, David's trek to uh, Everest Base Camp, I thought, was that you brought along a thick policy book on education uh, with you. Nerd. Which, what were you thinking? But, you know, most people tried to limit the weight that they're carrying. You know, there were some really cold nights, Mike. And, Mm -hmm. you know... You, just, you curled up with a policy book. Yeah, you're right, what, EF, exactly. what was it called? The EFPP or yeah, oh my AEFP, God. whatever. Oh my blah, God, blah, you blah, guys. Blah, blah. It's, like, you guys. it's so full of, anyway. I it just, is an excellent volume. I try and convince did people. Did you bring it back, by the way? I, I did. I mean, I did. I'll give it back oh to you. I have like 150 pages left. You didn't use any of it for toilet paper. <laughs> okay, moving on. All right, so that's uh, enough of that. What do you have for us this week, David? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, all right, so I have uh, a study called Do Impacts on Test Scores Even Matter? Lessons from long run outcomes in school choice research um, and it's by the our friends uh, at AEI Michael McShane Pat Wolf and Colin Hitt boy this rings a bell yeah uh, huh. oh maybe because I've uh, I'm working on my sixth post about this study yes okay yeah. but let's hear it from your take well, so I am going to struggle to summarize it here but I think the short version is they do a very comprehensive um, lit review of school choice programs and they basically look to see is there really uh, a relationship between the sort of test score impacts of those programs and other impacts uh, in, such as high school graduation, long-term impacts like college, et cetera? And their conclusion is no. And you've taken issue with that. Yep. Um, and uh, I am a lot closer to you than I am to them uh, in terms of the takeaway. To me, uh, so that I have less of a problem with the, the, the programs that were included, which you've written about. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that seems debatable. Yeah. Um, In other words, they, 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 these are supposed to be school choice programs. They included some like career and technical education, mm-hmm. yeah. selective enrollment schools like Stuyvesant, which I, I would argue aren't really school choice. But more importantly, our, our programs are just kind of idiosyncratic, like for reasons depending on. Yeah, I mean, that you know, the kind of. St- unique populations and such you might not expect their test scores and their yeah. say college enrollment rates to go I, in the same direction I, I get your case there um i mean so to me my my two biggest problems were first of all what counts as a mismatch right yep. because they essentially say in order for there to be a match well then it, you know you have to have positive impacts on test scores and on the other outcome whatever it is um and then if it's not an exact match like that, then it counts as a mismatch. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I just think that's really, I I think that's too strict, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, to me, a true mismatch is, you know, we have positive significant impacts on graduation and negative significant impacts on test scores, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we should actually worry about, right? Um, Because then that's, that's a scenario in which policymakers might actually you know, be tempted to close down the program or, or whatever the accountability mm-hmm. thing is they're worried about uh, and, and actually do harm. But if that's not the case, then, then I don't really see where, what, you know, what, what is the problem we're trying to solve here? Right. For example, right? So they have, actually, they have these really, um, well, okay, let me make my other point. All right, yes. <laughs> All right, and, and then, and, and it's sort of a related point, which is, you know, can we really generalize from sort of programs to schools? And we've been talking about yeah. this, right? Yeah. So- the studies they include are kind of dominated by insignificant positive or negative effects, yeah. right? Um, which is because if you take take a large enough sample of schools, right? I mean, 
most education interventions don't have that big an effect, right? Or they right. don't do that much harm or, or that much good. Um, and this has been true of many school choice programs on average. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you can't jump from that to then saying, well, we shouldn't care about test scores, right? Because when you look at individual schools, you see a much bigger, you know, uh, you see much larger variation. differences. Yeah, yeah right. variation, right? There's huge differences between schools, even within programs that may have very, very tiny or insignificant right. um, differences on average. So that just seems to me to be a totally unwarranted leap. And that's more about their implications than anything else. Um, but those are my two biggest yeah. um, criticisms. And, and, you know, and, and look, there's the other issue, just high school graduation. Do you think of that? Is that an attainment measure? Is it valid? Especially if you are studying high schools, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, if, if you're looking at the impact of a KIPP middle school, yeah. then I think seeing the impact on high school graduation rates makes sense. Right. But if it's a KIPP high school, well, that's like another short-term indicator of of what they're doing and we know that high expectation schools sometimes drive up the dropout rate because some kids get discouraged yeah it doesn't mean that the other kids aren't learning more Mm -hmm. all right but by by your measure then all right what you're most concerned about are programs that have significant negative effects on test scores and significant positive effects on something long term yeah and out of, you know, they, they look at 36 different estimates. I mean, how many of those cases are we talking about? It's incredibly small. And in fact, I, the, I love their tables, but honestly, just looking at them, you can see that actually, you know, there, there is a correlation between these uh, test score impacts and the other ones. But to mm-hmm. answer your question, for example, if you look at ELA impacts and high school graduation impacts, you know, there's, they have 34 studies that looked at both of these things. Yeah. In three of those studies, there were negative significant impacts on ELA, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's three, you know, programs that maybe potentially policymakers would look to shut down, right? Right. Right. Uh, In one of those programs, there was a negative significant impact, right? So out of the 34, uh, you know, out of the 34 programs we're talking about here, there's only one where there's actually a true mismatch between ELA and graduation rates. Um, So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's possible that policymakers could shut down mm-hmm. that program and it's possible that that would be a mistake, but I, I don't think they have <laughs> shut it down. And I, you know, it's not clear that it, it's not a hundred percent clear that it would be a mistake. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like 3% of choice programs that we're even talking about there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, again, I guess my biggest question is what, what is the problem we're trying to solve here? Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to jump in? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. And, and right. And, and the good news for school choice people is that in most of these studies, uh, which don't include some of the most recent, you know, ones of the big large scale right. programs, but most of these studies, the results are, are positive on all counts. Now, not always statistically significant for, as you say, uh, sometimes because of sample size issues, other things, but, but generally positive. So it's like, where's the mismatch? There's not that, there's not that many negative findings out there for there to be this huge mismatch. Yes. Uh, so, right. What is the problem we are trying to solve? That's a good question. Yeah. I'm. Thank you. <laughs> there was some Time. like slogan. No, there was some slogan that that sounded like that I was going to reference. And yeah. I don't know. I, just I mean, we have a head. lot of problems to solve. This may not be uh, one of them that we need to work. Oh, it's about. a Parks and Rec reference. I'm done. Okay. All right. Hey, so much more to say. And we have said it. Uh, people can check it out on the blog. Uh, but thank you. I, I'm encouraged, David, that uh, that I'm not crazy here. I you don't know, think you're crazy. You, you are working um, very close, you know, working away on your PhD. And I do not have the research credentials of uh, professors uh, Wolf and Hitt and McShane, as they like to point out. But uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad to hear that I'm not completely out of my mind when I say that there's something very 
wrong about the way they did this review. When you can look at the tables and you can see the correlation with your naked eyes, yeah. there's, there's a problem. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, David. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.